0: You need Antoine Davis, okay? You need that type of player. The the guy that's probably going to break Pete Maravich's scoring record at Detroit Mercy.
1: Yeah, well, it came up short. (laughs)
2: This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from this week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week
0: fantastic personality and friend of the program, Mark Durant. Mark, great to see you this morning. How are you?
3: Boys, it's always wonderful to see you. I apologize for my voice. I'm a little bit under the weather, but nothing, nothing, guys, was going to keep me (laughs) from coming on the show with my two best friends.
0: We appreciate your dedication to the craft and to this friendship, for sure. Let's start with the NCAA tournament, Mark, and bracket filling. How many brackets do you fill out on an annual basis?
3: You know, I don't go overboard with the brackets. I usually fill out one, maybe, maybe two if I'm, you know, feeling frisky. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I always do pretty good, but I never win. It's depressing, maybe analogous to this uh, year's team. I always do pretty good, but uh, just didn't quite have enough to get over the
1: top. Yeah, when my three-year-old uh, Tate last year, St. Peter's going to the ship, uh, I was like, hey, that was a, that was a nice one, uh, man. You also have no clue what's going on, neither do I. Uh, okay, we were just talking about it in What's Trending, the off-season priorities for BYU basketball. Where do they begin and what's included in that in your opinion?
3: Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's a tall task and, and kind of literally a tall task. I think number one is you need to get some size, you need to get some bodies. I think you can get away with being a little bit smaller in the West Coast conference, um, but you're going to need to bring in a, at least a couple big six, eleven, seven foot guys. Uh, I don't think it's realistic to think that Foose can play the five and in, in the big 12. Uh, maybe he could. I mean, Foose is amazing at what he's able to do, but defensively and rebounding, you need to have some size. You need to be able to throw some bodies. Uh, and so you need, you need to go find some big guys that, they can play in the post and get some rebounds and play defense and be able to compete physically uh, in the Big 12 type type of games. Um, and then, you know, you, you know, BYU's always probably not going to get the best athletes, but they should be able to get some really good shooters. And, and uh, I think this team was a decent shooting team, but not great. And I think the great equalizer in college basketball for a team like BYU would be uh, to be able to shoot the three really well. You think of that team a couple years ago, the COVID team. Uh, the thing that was really impressive about them was they were leading the country in three-point shooting. And and I think if BYU could be near the top, top 20 three-point shooting team, uh, that may be able to catapult them to some wins and some success in the Big 12 because it's just such an important part of college basketball. And I, I don't think you have to be, you know, seven feet and jumping out of the gym to be able to shoot threes. I mean, you can get some guys that – are super skilled and can be a real threat from the three. And uh, if, if you can shoot the ball well from three, you're going to be in a lot of games and you'll win some games. So I guess number one is get some big guys. Number two, get get a couple of real sharpshooters. Now, that's easier said than done. I mean, everybody's looking for big guys and sharpshooters. Um, but that, that's where you need to focus your attention if you can get it. And I, and I hope this year – you know, maybe you you are able to get some some guys that maybe you otherwise wouldn't with the Big Twelve, and that's that's the hope anyway. That's the whole point of it, really, is to be able to have more resources and play in bigger games and bigger, uh, you know, bigger TV exposure, and that that excites young kids and they want to be a part of that. And maybe you get some players that you couldn't in the past.
0: Mark, in this day and age of name, image, and likeness, and all of the money that's being thrown around in the NIL game, is it as simple for BYU as well? Come up with more money from the boosters and whatnot so that you can have more to offer to the players.
3: It's it, it's getting a little bit that way, right, Spencer? I mean, for BYU TV to keep you, they got to pay you a lot. I know that much. <laughs> what? <I> mean, uh, <laughs> Jerem, not so much. I mean, Jerem, you know. This
1: internship's been awesome. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but, uh, y- yeah, I mean you you have to be competitive i mean you can't you can't be at the bottom of the big 12 as far as what you're offering kids you're probably not going to be up near kansas either you but you need to be able to you you know if iowa state or oklahoma state is paying a certain amount you need to be able to say yeah we you know that's that's about what we're paying and you know there's no real financial incentive for you to go somewhere else but then look at all these other things that we offer and and the environment and all the things that BYU can bring to the table, but you need to be somewhat competitive. You need to be in the mix. Uh, You can't, you can't kind of go, you can't be a cheapskate anymore. Let's put it that way. You can't uh, nickel and dime these kids. It's a different world. They're expecting to get paid a little bit, especially the premier type players. And uh, so you need to be able to put together a whole package and and not the least of that is, is a decent NIL uh, option. And, you know, the other thing that I think is cool, and you look at Gideon George and, and, uh, and Fusini and, and others is, you know, the ability to do things that's not just about you. Uh, it's about, you know, their charities and doing things back in Africa and, and you know, the inner cities. And, and you could really do some great things with what BYU has to offer uh, with their support uh, with with charity and and things that, you know, these kids aren't all about themselves you know, they want to get the NIL money. They don't want to get, you know, not get that. Obviously, if it's there, they want it. But they also want to make a difference in the world. And I think BYU is a unique opportunity for them to do those kind of things.
1: Certainly more than an athlete uh, here at BYU for sure. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, uh, you know, need to win now, and that probably means transfers, right? But also the ability to recruit and get kids out of high school that you develop like a Dallin Hall. Sometimes they go on missions, right? If they're a member of the church, if they're not, they come in and they play right away or whatnot. What, what are your thoughts on sort of how roster compositions are evolving, given the need to win now and what the transfer portal perhaps offers in that regard?
3: Well, Jerem, I think it's a, you know, as most things, it's a balancing act. Um, I think Gonzaga over the years has been a good example of how to do that. They do have, Guys that they bring in and develop, they also do so well in the transfer portal. And it's an attractive place for guys in the transfer portal that uh, maybe didn't have success for whatever reason at at a Power 5 school and that they know they can go to Gonzaga and be successful and get to the tournament. And and, uh, you see a lot of NBA players from Gonzaga. Uh, I I think that's kind of the model that you want is to make sure that you're not neglecting Bringing in freshmen like Dallin Hall, Richie Saunders, and Toolson, and others, uh, and because I think that has to be the core of your team, that has to give you a foundation, and that has to give you a continuity. And when those kind of guys get to be juniors and seniors, you know they've really developed, and and they can really make you into a good basketball team. But you need to obviously now uh, pepper that with really good transfer players. The trouble with the transfer portal is it can be hit and miss. One year you you strike the lottery and the next year you come up empty. And so it's hard to rely and base your whole program on the transfer portal because you want to have some, you know, continuity and consistency. And so I think it's a mix. Um, Preferably I'd like to to really have a solid, you know, two thirds uh, of guys you bring in and work with and keep and develop and get better. And then you're bringing in three or two, three or four players every year in the transfer portal just to try and, uh, accentuate the guys that you already have and get better and it's just you have to do it. I mean that's just the way it is. You have to do it. It's it's coaching malpractice if you're not really hitting the transfer portal hard and making that happen but you, you have to have a solid core of guys that are just kind of all about BYU and they choose BYU and they're, they're staying at BYU and I think that's important.
1: And BYU certainly has several of those guys on the roster currently however in the fall BYU did not sign anyone out of high school maybe for the first time Ever. Any concern uh, about that? They do have Jake Wallin coming back from a mission.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a concern, but it's, you know, it, you can't kind of base it on one year. Um, if that was a pattern over many years, you know, you'd really look at it. But the, the rosters are so volatile with, with the transfer portal, with missions at BYU, that it may just so happen that, that BYU was kind of full up and didn't really, you know, there was no one really speaking to them out there. Uh, obviously, there's some exciting young High school players. I really like this uh, Kozlowski kid, and and uh, so I mean you're st- you're working on you're working on guys, but some years it's just like, you know, we got a lot of guys coming back, and we're expected to have these guys on the transfer portal, and uh, maybe this isn't the year that we bring in a high school kid. I mean that used to not be the case, but but given circumstances in the world today and how things are different, you may have a year where you don't do that, and uh, so we'll see how it goes. I mean I don't like that principle generally speaking. Um, you know, for the long term, but it may be just it was kind of that something odd that happened this year. So we'll see.
0: BYU basketball radio analyst Mark Durant's with us on BYU Sports Nation. Mark, I keep hearing in all of the circles that I usually participate in with conversation that, well, BYU's got to make changes then. It was just such a rough season. They got to make major changes. Well, what are those changes? What changes do you anticipate that BYU is going to have to make from an overall standpoint moving forward into the Big 12?
3: Well, I wish I hung out in Spencer Litton circles. <laughs> let me tell you that much. That's that's some elite stuff there, man. But
0: uh, <laughs> you're always invited, Mark. You're always invited.
3: <laughs> um, you know, I'm not. I'm not that. I'm probably not in that group. I don't think drastic changes are needed. Um, <clears throat> this this year's team, I thought performed well. Uh, I like the fact that BYU has high expectations and expects great things, and, and I like that. I want that to be the case always. Um, you know, this team played hard, and, and, you know, but for a few bounces here and there and a, a couple different games, you know, it, it would be a different conversation, I think. But the fact is that they didn't bounce their way, and they did lose the games and didn't make a postseason tournament, and that, that that's hard to swallow. Maybe you can swallow it for a year or two and going into the big 12, but long-term you have to perform. So if you didn't get the performance you needed out of the guys that you have, then yeah, something has to change or you'll get the same result. Um, I do think, you know, you have some younger guys, like we mentioned, Dallin and Richie, they'll get better. Uh, Jackson will get better. Foost will get better. Um, it's just because that's the way another year. As good as they are, they'll get better. So there's a change for you in the guys that you have. Without making a change, you'll get better performance because those guys will get better. Um, But I think you need some – I think a real problem this year was leadership. I think at the end of this season, Rudy was better at that, and BYU was better because Rudy was a bit of a leader at the end. But you need to have a good leader on your team. You need to have um, size, I think, was a big problem. This year, even though BYU was still able to rebound well with the, with the size that they did have. Um, but And then they need to be more consistent, better shooters. I, d- I don't know. So those are things you do need to change. So when you're going into the transfer portal, you have those things in mind. And when you craft an offense and defense around your team, those are things you have in mind. Um, but I, I don't know. You throw out the, the baby with the bathwater here. I think these are changes that you can work with. And. Try and add a few pieces and and get your guys that you have better and and I think if you do that you weren't very far off this year. If you can make some incremental changes, then uh, maybe you can get to where you need to be. Now, with that said, uh, of course you're going into Big Twelve and and so it's not it's not a matter of getting a little bit better so you can finish in the top three in the West Coast Conference. I mean that's that, that's out the window now and now you're just trying to win some games in yeah. the conference that you're in. And so maybe you do need even more change, but I'm confident with Mark Pope and his staff. I, I love Mark Pope. I think he's the right guy. And, uh, and we'll, we'll see how the, the transfer into the Big 12 with the new resources and exposure, maybe that will give him the ammunition that he needs.
0: Mark, great to talk with you as always. We appreciate the insights. And I know that you have your blue goggles hidden there somewhere. And that we can, you know, if you want to join in a conversation later, we can put those blue goggles on together and and, and talk about the future. Hey, listen,
3: I went to Dr. Hoops Hoops Vision, and he put in uh, blue contacts for me, uh, permanent. So I'm always – it's always blue for me. Everything's blue.
0: Mark, thanks so much for the time.
2: That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio.
0: Give me some dramatic music, because BYU's headed into a dramatic offseason as they transition into the Big 12, which, oh, by the way, just placed 70% of this year's teams in the NCAA tournament, all as single-digit seeds. No bad. And it's only going to get more difficult with the addition of
1: Number one seed, Houston. Well, there's a couple, you know, (laughs) non-NCA tournament teams (laughs) entering the league. To make things feel better? Yeah, yeah, a couple wins. Okay. What's
0: Trending, by the way, presented by Bodyguards Protection for a Life Worth Living. Learn more at bodyguards.com. We're discussing priorities for BYU in this Power 5 transition state. What is on top of your off-season priority list for BYU men's basketball?
1: It's twofold. It's developing the good talent you already have specifically continuing to develop Foose, Jackson Robinson, and Dallin Hall, who you have two or three years, respectively, together. It's also continued to develop a guy like Spencer Johnson, who is shooting the lights out. Like, he's a really nice piece, right? A g- tremendous role player. Trevin Nell returns as well, which is exciting. You get him for two more years. He is a sharp shooter as well. So, develop those dudes on the screen. Like, In a video game, Madden or NCAA College Football, you know, you have that continuity. Oh, they they got better in spring drills, and then they come back in the fall, and they're like plus six on their player rating or whatever. This is what BYU needs to do with these five guys specifically. And there are other talented guys. Throw in Richie Saunders as well. Richie Saunders as well, absolutely. Richie should be included in that group, absolutely. Those six dudes are kind of your, okay, these guys have played, and we expect them to play a lot of minutes. You also need to upgrade via the transfer portal in a few other areas. Um, you need a starting center. After the amazing 2019-20 season, BYU went and had a season where they were a six-seed at-large. Do you understand being a six-seed at-large, how crazy that is? I believe that's the highest at-large seed BYU had ever had, as an at-large. Um, it was. Sorry, three-seed, 2011. Oh, would be right. Higher.
0: But, but, that's right, they were an at-large.
1: But, uh, because BYU doesn't win conference tournaments, it's <laughs> like every uh. year's at-large. One day. Um, Matt Harms comes in and changes every, like, he makes it so BYU keeps that train going. Brandon Averett as well. Oklahoma State, UVU, boom, point guard. Those two additions made it so you maintained what you did the year before. In fact, I would argue that team at the end, uh, you know, when all was said and done, like, they went into the tourney ranked and roaring, and, like, they were on par. Or maybe a little bit, I don't know, 1920 was pretty special. You also need a point guard. Now, wait, isn't Dallin Hall the point guard? you need a second point guard, or a, another combo guard uh, that can come in. You need a guy essentially to replace Rudy Williams. Um, and then I would, I would still have, despite the fact that there are a bunch of these kind of guys already on the roster, a dynamic wing that could be a 15 a game guy. I wouldn't mind that, because I don't want to ask sophomores to be amazing quite yet. I do expect juniors and seniors to be ballers. Freshman and sophomore, you are typically a role player. Even Alex Barcelo coming in as a junior we weren't like, you need to average 15 a game. It was, you're the fourth piece on this team. Next year, you're the guy when you're a senior. So that, that's what I would like to see specifically. The development of those six guys identified, and perhaps there's others. Maybe Jake Walleen comes off a mission and he's amazing. He's the one addition. Maybe so. He's not no high school signees, um, but one off a mission in Jake Walleen. Center, point guard, wing. Basically touch every spot. Foost needs to play the four. He cannot play the five in the Big 12.
0: Here's the good news for BYU. You're going to be able to stretch defenses a little bit more, you would think, with a healthy Trevin Nell back. Sure. If you add him to what Spencer Johnson did this season, who shot 46% from the three-point line. I'd take
1: 40 from Spence next
0: year. 46% is red hot. I don't think he attempted enough to qualify in some NCAA metrics, though. Probably not. But still. Whatever. He he was really, really good. Trevin Nell believes that he's the best shooter on the team. He believes that he's a better shooter than Spencer Johnson. Straight up. It's a fun competition. Yes, It's It's a a fun conversation and fun competition. Yeah,
1: that's
0: great. You should be able to stretch defenses with those guys and their ability to shoot the three. Maybe Jackson Robinson gets a little bit more consistent with his three-point shot as well. And you said BYU. I want him to
1: attack the rim. You wouldn't
0: hate BYU to have a dynamic wing. Can Jackson Robinson develop into that dynamic wing type? He can.
1: I'll always take more, though. That'd be, like, that'd be like saying, no, we're good with Aiden Robbins at running back. It's like, no, you add L.J. Martin, despite that. You know what I mean? Like, you always want another piece. I, I, w- I would just feel better if you, you don't have to get a certain pro- – it's the Big 12 now, too. Like, it's another level. I, I want to continue to get these guys to Big 12 level yeah. and bring in Big 12 guys. That's why BY could go out in the transfer portal and get some guys that are much cheaper But they may not be Big 12 starter type guys. BYU needs tier A. The standard
0: goes up. Talent. They need tier A transfer portal talent.
1: I'd even, yeah, yes. I'd even take tier B. Because what is is BYU tier A is like I'm trying to win the national championship. It's like well, well, Matt Harms was a tier A talent. He yes, I would argue he's one of the best transfers BYU's ever had in any sport. Like that was the exception, not the rule. Uh, the rule is you need Alex someone Barcello at least as good as Spencer Johnson.
0: Alex Barcelo developed into a Tier A talent. He was not a Tier A talent when no. he entered from the transfer board. He was the fourth was best, best player on that school. BYU team in 1920. That yeah. says something about that team. No, we, we say
1: 1920. We don't mean like Great Gatsby. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> the 2019-2020 yeah. season. It's wild to think that yeah. Alex Barcelo was the fourth best player on that team. That's
1: how it's got to be. Spence, in th- in two and a half years, when BYU is like fourth in the Big 12 and competing at a high level and ranked in the top 25, we'll go. Remember when Dallin Hall was a freshman and that team didn't make the NIT? That's the convo I want. Just like we had with Zach Wilson when he was seven and six in twenty nineteen.
0: Now here's a fun thought. In 1718, correction, in 1819, okay? So the 1819 season for BYU, Cougars did not make the NIT. It was with Gabe Rose's final it. season. Mark Pope comes in in year one, does what I think was his best recruiting job ever, even more than getting Matt Harms to come from Purdue. He convinced Yoli Childs to come back, got Jake Toulson, TJ Haas, brought in Alex Barcelo, had Zach Sellius there, and voila, BYU had this incredible core yep. of experience and leadership. There are a couple of things that BYU has significantly lacked in over the past season. Experience and leadership. Who are those guys going to be? Typically, BYU has at least a yep. big two, Jerem. At least a big two. They're the best when they have a big three. But they've had at least a big two. Who were the big two for BYU basketball last season? No one was big. It changed
1: every game. No one's like. big if you don't average over 12 points a game. You know what I mean? Like you need You need dudes that are... 14-plus, and sometimes going for high 20s. Yes. Like, like Foose can be that. Exactly. He can Dallin be one. can be that. Foose Jackson is going to be one. can be that. I, like, Spencer Johnson, I want BYU to be so good that Spencer Johnson is the fourth or fifth best player on the team. That's where I want.
0: And Trevin Nell's in that same category.
1: Yes. Yes. I want, I want BYU to be so talented that Alex Barcelo was the fourth best on that. 19 Okay, That idea okay. is ideal. You need to – I said this during the season. I'll say it again. I think BYU is two-and-a-half players away from the NCAA tournament. And maybe it, maybe it has to be the transfer portal there. Or Jackson Robinson goes from, like, 8-a-game guy to 14-a-game guy. And Spencer Johnson bumps up. Foose bumps up. You bring in a center. You bring in another point guy. Now, like, I just, I just don't like the idea that this past season – Two, there were two issues walking in, midseason. where we go, mm. Before the season we knew that the post situation was gonna be trouble. You only had two, period. And those guys were young. And they're, they're working hard, they're playing well. Tiki played really well in the WCC tournament. Foos had a really nice sophomore season again. But it's hard to ask them to be something amazing as freshmen and sophomores, right? With just two of them. You get in foul trouble, you're in trouble. You gotta go small. The other thing was that you are starting a freshman off a mission. Physically, that's just hard. I think Dallin Hall did really well. I think He had an outstanding freshman season. Made the two game winners early against Missouri State and Creighton. Really showed up against St. Mary's at home. Carried BYU for like half the points almost. Dallin Hall was incredible was in awesome. the second
0: half against St. Mary's in the postseason. But
1: I don't want to rely on a return for, uh, missionary as a freshman. He needs a year and a half before that body gets back to... Where it was before, and Dallin notably didn't get hurt. Went through a little January slump, as I mentioned, probably what happened with all returned missionaries. Like, but the consistency. Hopefully, he dials that in a year off a of mission. When you don't have to use that guy right off a of mission, now you're good. He's a sophomore. He certainly could be the starter. But I wouldn't mind if BYU brought in a guy that uh, was better than what Rudy Williams was. And Rudy, at times, was incredible. Right? Like, really helped BYU win. The Creighton game, the Utah game, the San Francisco game, he was tremendous at times. Just a little more consistency at that position would be great.
0: Top of the priority list, yes, size, but that factors into the experience, leadership, the big two. Uh, if, if I had to put at number one, BYU needs a big two. I feel like they have half of that in Foos. I feel like he will develop into being a big player for BYU as a junior. He'll take a step. It's going to get better. Like, he should average 14 points a game next year, and he's a double-double guy. Like, he could be a consistent double-double machine for BYU. Who's going to be the second player in the Big Two? Can somebody ascend to that, or does BYU have to find that player in the transfer portal?
1: If BYU does not bring in that kind of player in the transfer portal, I think they may be encountering a... NIT or, or less season again, and maybe no NIT. Like, you have to get somebody else. I agree. You, you have to you get have to, a big two. You have to get someone better than Rudy was. That's you what, have to find
0: a ball-dominant combo guard that excels coming off a high ball screen and can knock down shots consistently and yeah. thus demand more defensive pressure so that when you take his shot away, he opens up Spencer Johnson and Trevin Nell and Richie Saunders and Foos for an easy two. You need, you need Antoine Davis. Okay. Yeah, you, you need, need that type of player—the yes. the guy that's probably going to break Pete Mirovich's scoring record at Detroit Mercy.
1: Yeah, well, it came up short. <laughs> Does he have another year? I don't know. Is he playing in the
0: CIT or the CBI? I don't. know. Did they go to a postseason tournament? Are, I, I honestly are, have no idea. These are not
1: things I pay attention to. Okay,
0: find me a big two, Jerem. and then,
1: then got it. Got to bring one in. Then Maybe come, two.
0: Then come more wins. If you want to
1: make the tourney, you need two of those dudes.
0: <sighs> Just give me at least one.
1: The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after
2: this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best
0: of BYU Sports Nation. Cougar Whip Round presented by Maris, your e commerce logistics shipping partner.
1: Brigham Young University Football's program posted this video of a Talmadge Gunther one handed catch from practice. All right. React.
0: Uh, first of all, like the route, like the speed, like the catch the best!
1: Oh! Oh! I have not seen this till now.
0: From Talmadge Gunther. Oh! I want to know who threw the ball. That's what I really want to know because that's a dime. Mm. Great catch, also a dime.
1: I like the the little bit of separation there. And then, uh, listen, he's got that dad strength. He has two kids, man.
0: That he He does. He and
1: Caleb Christensen have two kids. Dos Ninos? Dos Ninos? Good gravy.
0: Yeah, give those guys some more NIL money. They need it for diapers!
1: (laughs) Just straight up, it's like sponsored by (laughs) papers. It would make
0: perfect sense in this market, at this school.
1: It'd be on brand. Come on.
0: Yeah, he's earned more diapers than NIL money. That's my final reaction to that video. Yeah. Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports reports yesterday that the Big 12 is reaching out weekly to expansion candidates. Okay. Which schools, Jerem, do you think are getting that weekly check-in from Brett Yormark?
1: Not SMU and San Diego State. Uh, I do think, uh, you know, they're probably trying to get Oregon and Washington, four corners seems obvious. Um, the whole Pac-12 minus Wazoo and Oregon State, I don't know. Um, Gonzaga certainly is in that mix as well, as, as uh, we've seen reported, yeah. and uh, talking to people, it sounds like, yeah, that's that's a real thing.
0: I start with the Arizona schools and then go to the Pacific Northwest, Washington, and Oregon. I think those are the first four- Portland State and Eastern Washington. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Washington and Oregon. George Fox. And then, yeah, Gonzaga, I think, is in the mix because this is a basketball powerhouse conference. It would be interesting if Brett Yormark wanted to expand with Gonzaga and, and maybe poach somebody out of, like, the big east or something some just purely basketball school
1: marquette or it's just like creighton you're in right like something just too well it would make sense to go to basketball then you keep that even number exactly i wouldn't Guns- put i wouldn't put a pass in it seems like uh based on reports and conversation that gonzaga would not get the invite before any football schools that that would happen like after football moves. that's what it seems like. for sure i am led to believe that based on
0: mark harlan the athletic director at utah's remarks last week on twitter of gimme a break in response to one of dennis dodd's reports that Utah is not super open to wanting to go to the Big 12 right
1: now. Why would they? They can be the kings of the league when USC and UCLA leave in in, uh, football.
0: Well, for that matter, why would Arizona, Arizona State, Oregon, and Washington? Because wouldn't it be easier for them to crack into a college football playoff and win their league too? Like, why would any of those
1: teams want Uh, to lead the Pac-12? Well, why USC and UCLA left? Money. The almighty dollar. Straight money. But it won't be significantly more than the Big 12. No, so
0: again, so are we back to square zero?
1: Again, Portland State and Eastern Washington. Let's go. Uh, How darn was the 173rd player to enter the transfer portal as of 7 Eastern uh, yesterday? Is that many transfer portal entrance a good or bad thing for BYU? I'm
0: just going to take this to a bigger conversation overall. I think it's a bad thing for college basketball. I hate that so many players are making this such a common thing because what you don't hear so often is that less than half of the players that enter the transfer portal actually find a landing spot. That's bad news. Like, I, I don't know what we need to do to, to, to get that out there. That like, It's not just this automatic, hey, I'm gonna enter the transfer portal and it's automatic, it's gonna be better for me. I'm gonna find a nice cushy spot somewhere. Like maybe half of those guys are gonna get a scholarship somewhere else. So I don't, I don't like it. I, I, I wish that there was, that was maybe half that number. So yeah, lots of options for BYU, but there are a lot of options for all 352 Division I basketball programs. It just makes it that much harder for BYU. At
1: what age are we okay with someone bouncing from a commitment? Because once you get to BYU, trust me, there are more, um, you know, social singles in the dating transfer portal uh, at BYU than that number. But also, once you graduate from college, you're more than welcome to bounce around to different jobs based on different opportunities, right? So at what age are we like, now it's okay? Um, Because in college, if the fit isn't good, and maybe there's a coaching cha- whatever. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and when, it, when are we okay to say, that was a legit transfer and that you should have stayed? I'm not sure how to reckon those things.
0: Only, yeah, well, it's an impossible, that's an impossible question to answer. So it's hard for
1: me to sort of critique that number. I just hate that it's
0: more and more and more and more. It's just getting bigger and bigger. What I don't like to see is kids that have four different schools on their resume by the time they're a sophomore. Like, that's crazy to me. That's really tough. Like, it, are they gonna be happy anywhere? That That's a tough scenario. And I know that- that's And where those
1: the, first three legitimately didn't work out? Like, it's hard to know. It's that's hard what to know, doesn't
0: that's apply hard. to everyone. I know there are always, yeah. you know, exceptions, sure. but I'm seeing that more and more, and I don't like that trend.
1: Yeah, uh, but we do sound old if we say that number. <laughs> if we comment on that number, okay. The New York Times reports a Chicago man is suing Buffalo Wild Wings, claiming the restaurant's falsely advertising its boneless wings. His claim is that they are more like chicken nuggets. Does he have a case here?
0: <laughs> no, there's no case there. They're not chicken nuggets. Come on, it's a, it's a Without stretch. Without the bone, are it, they not?
1: It's a well. I think I think chicken tenders are what adults yes. call chicken nuggets. Well. Chicken chicken nuggets to
0: me are ground up remaining parts of chicken. Like chicken tenders are like a slice off the chicken that you fry then. Okay, very different than just like throwing it into a meat grinder and putting some breading
1: around it. Like
0: tenders, boneless wings, different than nuggets. I appreciate the hustle though. Who doesn't want to make a quick easy million?
1: Yeah, or, or more. I was at Buffalo Wild Wings Friday night and I thought that the original was gonna be the mild. The original was too much for you, boy. It was rough. Okay. Yeah. Can we throw in one more? I ate two, I was sweating.
0: Can we throw in one more? I wanna talk baseball, because BYU hosts Utah in baseball today. Do it. Weather permitting, of course, is this the game you care about the most for BYU baseball all season?
1: Looking at the schedule this year, Spence, (laughs) yes. There wasn't like a super compelling (laughs) non-conference game where I go, oh, that's the game. Yeah. Utah a couple of times, right, this year? Sure, yeah. This is
0: the most important game unless and until BYU makes the West Coast Conference postseason tournament. Then that becomes In the Vegas game now. that I will care the most about. But they got to make the tournament for me to care about a game more than this well, and that's happening today. Double
1: a multiple games.
2: Yeah. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday.
1: Uh, we were at practice yesterday and offensive coordinator Aaron Roderick told the media he's impressed with what he's seeing early from new quarterback transfer Keaton Slovis.
0: Keaton's playing really well. He, he and We're only five practices into it so there's still a lot of room for growth but um, he, he's a veteran player and he, he shows it out here every day. There, each Each day there are a few things that happen for the first time in our offense that are like new to him just with our system. So there's some growth there each day, but just as far as like his ability to run the team and make the plays that you need to to make uh, at this level, he he shows us every day. He's a good quarterback.
4: That's a happy coordinator right there. You can just see it You can. Eyes. You can
1: tell. Yep. When Aaron's bugged, when Aaron's bugged, right? But he's very happy.
4: He with, is happy yeah. that, that he got this guy in the yep. portal. I caught up with Keaton after the workout and asked him, among many things, his three biggest surprises since showing up here on campus. Here's our interview.
5: Keaton, what did you do today that you're happy with? I uh, just thought we ran the offense really well. I thought all, all the quarterbacks, uh, we got in the red zone, we scored. That's kind of your job as an offense. You want to be a good team, you have to score in the red zone. So I thought um, as an offense, we did a great job of that.
4: Seemed like a spirited exchange with the defense. Is it starting to get intense?
5: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, what, day five, six now. And I think the both sides are, you know, played against each other a lot. And, you know, you want to win the drill, and everyone wants to win the drill. So, uh, you know, I think they won the first one, and we kind of took a lot of pride in winning the second drill for sure.
4: What have you learned about this team in two weeks?
5: Um, We have a lot of fun and uh, guys are coached really well I think Um, and even when when you don't really execute the play as as much as you like I think guys are fired up to to do it themselves it's not like they need a whole lot of motivation I think guys are are really fired up intrinsically which is uh, everything you want as a teammate.
4: In this offense what do you find the most challenging?
5: Um, Just be more and more familiar with the plays I haven't ran before but um, again I think Coach Coach Arod and and Matt make it really easy on the quarterback we we go over it a lot in meetings and uh, I feel like out here I feel pretty comfortable.
4: It wasn't but a couple of months ago that John Beck suggested you think about BYU,
5: and, and here you are. And the other day you told me it felt like you'd been here forever. How come? <laughs> uh, it just does. Uh, it's hard to explain. I think just the, the way the team is, the culture, uh, the way the teammates act. Uh, I feel like I have a bunch of friends out here, so uh, when you have a certain amount of friends after three weeks, it feels like you know each other for a while. Def- I guess it just feels like you know each other for more than two weeks, and it turned out to be super nice. But yeah, uh, you know, it's just a tribute to the, the coaches, the culture, and uh, the program Coach Colony has built. What are the three biggest surprises now that you're an expert at what BYU is? When you think about it, a couple of
4: months ago when John said, hey, <laughs> think about BYU, and now what you know, what are the three biggest
5: surprises? Uh, I think we have a lot of good players here. I kind of knew that, but you don't know until you get there. Uh, I think the players have impressed me. Uh, the culture, I've heard all about it. Everyone talks about the culture, and once you get in the building, again, that surprised me, and then, uh, shoot, probably the view. I've never seen these mountains with snow on it, so I was kind of shocked by uh, you know, all ski resorts around and um, just the area. It's a great area, too. How much time do you spend thinking about your debut September 2nd against Sam Houston? Uh, that's a great question. I feel like I feel about, think about the whole season. Um, but yeah, that, that day on the calendar is, is certainly circled with a, a big mark on it, yeah. Today it was announced that uh, the Big 12 and the NFL
4: are partnering to do Pro Day next year, which will be your Pro Day. In Dallas
5: on the NFL Network, it just seems like things are getting bigger and bigger for you. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't know that until now, so uh, yeah, it's great news. Uh, It's exciting to be a part of that conference, and a lot of good players, a lot of good competition, and we're excited to be going and competing in it.
4: In our first interview, you talked about uh, your dad was impressed that that BYU brought ice cream to the visiting fans when you were here in 2019. Have you broke the news to him that they don't bring ice cream to the parents of current team members?
5: Yeah, he probably has to figure that one out the hard way. But uh, we'll get him. Well, he can't wear like an opposing shirt and switch it. He's got to just deal with it. Maybe pay you know a few bucks for an ice cream. Now <laughs> he's gonna be okay with that. Yeah, he'll he'll bite the bullet for that one.
4: Looking at the next two weeks, what what do you want to get done here with this team where you feel like you got a handle on things?
5: I think just iron out the little you know kinks and cooks and crannies that uh you know that. You know, each play, you know, there's little nuances and uh, kind of ironing all that stuff out and get more and more comfortable with the plays that we haven't run a ton of or haven't had success with, but uh, I know we'll get to it eventually.
4: Who gets after you the most, Kalani or Aaron Roderick,
5: the offensive coordinator?
4: Or Steve Clark, I saw him getting after a lot of guys. <laughs> I
5: was about to say, uh, they're pretty cool and collected. Um, you know, it's kind of nice. that I feel like that's how I kind of carry myself. We talk about it after. If I did something wrong, they'll let me know, but it's not, um, again, I feel like there's a lot of trust in me, but also... Um, you know, Coach Klein came with me the other day, he's like, man, just have fun today. And as a, from head coach, you know, you love hearing that because that's what it is. Football's a fun game, and uh, I feel like you play better when you're, you're having fun.
4: You hit Chase Roberts on a corner route
5: for a touchdown to beat uh, Heckard, the All-American transfer. Did uh, that give you some satisfaction? Oh, yeah, it's great. I told Chase, one of many, uh, and he did a great job. And, again, we're supposed to score when we get down here, and we did, and I'm super happy about it. All right, thank you. Good luck the rest of the way. Yeah, thank you. On that
4: touchdown pass, Jay Hill, defensive coordinator, said afterwards to us, had the wrong call there. I felt bad. I put Heckard in the wrong spot. He goes, almost to say, that's not going to happen when we put our red zone defense in with his guys. But, but uh, you and I watched it yesterday. There's some camaraderie mm-hmm. between both sides of the ball and there's some zip and it's spring and everyone's undefeated and all that stuff. But there have been other springs when there hasn't been this, this kind of a feeling. And one thing I asked Keaton after we were finishing and, and just visiting for a little bit, and his dad was there yesterday, and he's figuring out the whole ice cream thing. No, yeah, he, he that. that. But I asked Keaton, I said, look, you've got 34 stars. Do you sense that the team recognizes that, that experience, and, and at the value of that moving into a Big 12? And he said he did. He said, um, you know, he goes, I've been in a lot of games. I've been in a lot of tough situations in a tough environment on the road and all these things including Provo including Provo and uh and he gets the sense that the guys are it's almost like we're we're gonna we're gonna follow you you've been there we haven't and uh which is just how you'd want that if you're Kalani you just exactly how you'd want been there done that ready to take BYU over there and and the, the guys are going
1: okay we'll follow you I think he's as good of a quarterback as BYU possibly could have hoped for out of the transfer portal. Yeah. I, I think it's tremendous. All the fact, And the fact that he's played BYU, he's played in the West, he's played in two different uh, Power 5 leagues um, in, in the Pac-12 and the ACC. This guy's ready. Um, and he looks happy. Like, yeah. he looks like he's enjoying himself. And, uh, you know, s- someone close to him said this, is, he said, this is the happiest I've ever been. And hopefully that's his life, too, like, this is a fun, unique place where he mentioned, yeah, the culture's great. You, don't, you hear about it, and then you get in here, and you realize, oh, this really is fun. We care about each other. Um, I love that he said he's still getting familiar with the playbook. Um, lots of good players here. He said you, you, you think and you hope, but you get in here and you go, oh, there are good players here. And, uh, of course, he loves the view. The best view will be throwing touchdowns against those mountains right. um, in Provo against the likes of Big 12 competition. But I, I'm so excited and still getting used to, frankly, it's like, Wait, that's Keaton Slovis as a BYU quarterback? Like, that's great. He, 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 looks, he looks familiar. Like, that stretch Y on his helmet just looks yeah. normal and familiar, and it looks awesome. Man.
4: And he said that, hey, there's, there isn't a quarterback competition here. So it's all business. This is the direction we're going, and, and this is the leadership, and yep. these are the plays. Clear
1: objectives, and identified who's doing what. Clearly, he's the guy. Yeah. And BYU the majority of BYU's success hinges on his ability to be good this year. Also, uh, Jay Hill. The new defense, like you said, it got a little chippy yesterday. So here's yeah. the deal. They have, they, they, they have uh, upper body pads only. They weren't wearing any leg pads. So the offense is just throwing themselves at the defense. And the defense one time kind of crumbled near the goal line. And Jay Hill was, uh, was uh, bugged because he's like, stay up. Yeah. The, That's this isn't full tackling quite it. yet. But you know when we will see full tackling is in two weeks and one day from today. In the scrimmage on BYE TV. Yeah. I'm very excited. We're going to see these guys out for the first time uh, in the history actually showcase in a uh, scrimmage what they can do. And obviously, they don't want to give away a ton of stuff for future opponents. But just to see uh, Eddie Heckard running around and Keaton yeah. Sloveson, Chase Roberts may be the alpha uh, among those receivers. Cody Epps and Keanu Hill, of course, there as well. Um, and then let's see who the backups are. We, we're going to get some depth answers as well. Uh, in that scrimmage, which would be fun. And then, listen, the roster as currently constituted is not what BYU will roll out in the fall because you've guys got, uh, like Max Tuley and Ben Why- Bywater sitting out, you probably need another receiver or two. Um, defensive line, you're still developing that yeah. way, but John Nelson looks really good, adding to the group I mentioned yesterday. Keep your
4: eye on the portal coming out of, once, once that football portal opens up. Yes, there's going to be yes. some action there.
1: BYU needs a couple more dudes mm-hmm. uh, to to get to the you know seven plus range.
4: I like what what Keaton said when Kalani said, "Hey, just have some fun," because he said you play better when you're having fun. That's true. As opposed to you play better when when you hate play stress, guys. Yeah, yeah. And um, and and Kalani, as as we hear from former players, he's a fun coach to play for because he 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 wants to have fun. Cause he's smart enough to know that if. If Max Tooley's having a good time out there, it's because he is everywhere wreaking havoc. So let's get in the right mindset, go out and have some fun. And by the way, in spring and these conditioning drills, we're teaching you that having fun also means you're in the right spot at the right time, ready to make a play, and then you go celebrate with your teammates. And, and that's part of the zip, I think, that's over there, is, is that they're figuring this out. And it, it is exhilarating. I wish everyone could go in and watch practice for what we get to see, because you're just watching, you go. Man, September 2nd can't get here soon enough. And, and, then,
1: and then everybody else. Then we go. Uh, the defense is excited about uh, the, the more aggressive attacking style right. as well. Yeah, for sure. Awesome.
2: The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the
1: best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Cougar Round is presented by Marisk, your e-commerce logistics shipping partner.
4: Cougar great Austin Collie was at practice yesterday. We saw him, he stayed after and spent some time with the wide receivers. Hopefully they listened to every word that he was saying.
1: I saw them down there, I didn't realize that was Austin.
4: There they are way down there, yeah, way down. I didn't either. And then Austin put out a tweet, not many pointers needed. Fessy T- Sataki has these boys dialed in as we ponder the question, hey, should Austin be around more often? Maybe even give him a spot.
1: Well, you don't even necessarily have to be an official assistant coach or even an analyst. Um, John Beck's influence on the program is far-reaching despite not being on the staff. So any involvement that Austin would have formally or informally, I certainly would welcome because to me, he's the greatest receiver in BYU.
4: Chase Roberts has a lot of Austin Kali in him how he runs routes and all that stuff. We talked about that last season, and then he went out and played like it, especially against Baylor, and he was down there listening as well.
1: Yeah, that was Cody Epps down there uh, with Chase as well, so yeah, let's go, man. Okay, who will have the better rush game next season, BYU or BYU South, a.k.a. the New Orleans Saints? Well, BYU needs to have a better rush
4: game (laughs) than the Saints, uh, because they play fewer games, uh and, and Aiden Robbins and, and some of the new guys along with Rapati and some of the older guys have gotta be able to move the ball on the ground so that Roderick can open up his whole playbook. Yes. Um, the Saints are gonna be good just because they're all pros and this and that. And we'll see what David Cardiff. He's terrible and Der- Derek Her- Cardiff. He's terrible for the Raiders, gets a $60 million signing bonus for the Saints. So the Saints got what, big plans What a life for, for that going on. I think uh it's going to be exciting to watch both, but I think the football team in the first year of the Big 12 has to run the football.
1: Yes. What do you think? Aiden Robbins, LJ Martin, Hinkley Rapati, Miles Davis, and company. Uh, Solce Maiava-Peters, by the way, got a lot of run at running yeah. back yesterday. Little, uh, they use him in creative ways, which is really fun as a former quarterback. And
4: you talked to Aiden yesterday. He's, yeah. He's on the mend, ready to go.
1: He's on the mend. Uh, re- he's out of a cast. Uh, I don't know if he had a cast, but he doesn't have anything on his wrist. Just, he said he's trying to get mobility on that uh, after surgery on the right wrist. So, um, yeah. He, Super nice guy. He goes, hey, thanks for letting me meet your son. I brought Tate to practice. Yeah, that's awesome. And I go, uh, thank you? uh, for." (laughs) So you're welcome. You were very nice.
4: Uh, So, yeah, he's great. All right, back to basketball. Jimmer was ranked 13th in a best men's college basketball player's ranking since 2000, done by Complex Sports. Too high, too low? Just right.
1: I I think it's uh, just right. I I think that's fair for Jimmer. His uh, 28.9 and... 2,000 plus points in uh, the career, net. yeah, yeah, absolutely. His junior and especially senior years were unbelievable.
4: His tournament, and and on CBS tweets out what he did to Gonzaga the year before BYU joined the WCC, the only shot Jimmer had at the Zags, he took them apart.
1: I think, uh, I've said this before, but uh, Jimmer scared the crap out of Gonzaga to where they went from, oh, top 25 to top five team, where they were like, oh, BYU's coming for us. Yeah. It's like, oh, we would love to win one championship, <laughs> uh, you know, so. I I blame Jimmer in a fun way for Gonzaga's decision. So number
4: 13, there's been 23 national players of the year over the course of time, and and to put Jimmer at at 13th best, that that feels about
1: right. That's pretty good. He's number one in our hunt. In the last 36 hours, we've seen the presidents of Arizona State and Arizona, as well as Mark Carlin from Utah, of the athletic director, go on the record to talk about their optimism about the future of the Pac-12. Is it uh, more telling that these messages came out, or that we haven't heard from Colorado? If it's a PR
4: move from the Pac-12, they're like five months late, but better late than never if, if this is what's gonna help them hold things together. Um, not sure what Colorado's doing, they're kind of a wild card. They, they have no loyalty to the Pac-12, probably should have never gone there in the first place. If they stay, they stay, no one cares. If they leave and go back to the Big 12, it makes things a little interesting. I just like it to end i just like, put your media deal, hold yourselves together if that's how you're going to do it, and let's move on to something else. But this rush of going out there is almost like how the president sends his people out uh, on damage control. Uh, even if it has nothing to do with the actual reality of the moment, but you're going to see all the pundits out there going, this guy is not falling, this guy is not falling, this guy's is not falling. While it's falling, we'll see. Keep, keep an
1: eye on this. If the Pac-12 has a TV deal that earns more than the Big 12, 31.7, it may not matter because where are those games going to be seen? Because if you're not on ESPN and Fox, it's not as good for the exposure, even if the money's better. So while you may win in that regard, you don't win in the actual ability to view. Remember, BYU fans are still burnt over the mountain and the inability to see your games. If you're on Ion Television and Apple Plus, uh, it's not the same as ESPN and Fox, even if, you make more money. So we'll see how that all shifts.
4: And what do these kids want today? These four and five star kids. They want bling and they want to be on TV. Because they all think they're going to the show. So if you can't put them on ESPN or Fox every week, someone will get there and go, hey, why would you want to go over there? You're going to And that matters. Yes. That might, might matter more than... Any dollar amount a head coach gets, or an athletic department raises, uh, or or any of what TV kicks in, is hey, we want to get this kid, but, and BYU's dealt with it for 12 years, but we can't put him in the biggest bowls, Having been on National TV all year. Yes. You can get the biggest balls, but but you don't get seen during the year if you're on Amazon.
1: In independence, BYU chose to be an ESPN's conference, if you will. Yeah. Uh, we will be seen at a minimum. And to be seen is to be relevant if you're good. You can right. be re- you can be irrelevant and good if you're not on a ESPN Fox type channel. So and had BYU we'll had not happens. been
4: on What's that, would they be in the Big 12 today?
1: They might not. Right. They might not. We'll see. How much Kate. time,
4: speaking of rogue television outlet, how much time are you going to spend today watching true TV?
1: Uh, Tuesday was the day that, w- that I remember that it existed. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, first four. Um, yeah, hand- handful of time, maybe an hour. So then, then maybe the four.
4: whole TV thing isn't that big of a deal. <laughs> put it on something obscure, put it on true TV. We're all finding it today. Yeah. But at least it's not streamed.
1: It is destination viewing though, only for, you know, this weekend basically.
4: I get the all future, year. future is streaming. We get that. Yeah. But what the viewer likes to do is be able to hop games. If there's got, five games on TV, I like to see all it's five of them. Got to be easily
1: accessible. Yeah. You know? And we're still caught in the tradition of certain channels.
2: The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week
1: here on The Best of BYU Sports Nation. Cougars are in week two of spring ball, getting ready for their first foray into the big leagues of power five football. Certainly the Cougars have paved the path to this point that's been unique as an independent, more prepared than some of the other expansion candidates, having played tougher schedules, despite me not liking it uh, a couple years ago. But when, hey, you're headed for the Big 12, that makes sense. So, Dave, which football position groups are big 12 ready in your mind right now been to practice a few times and and, and
4: watched them and of course a lot of the guys are sitting out that will be impact players in the fall because of injuries uh, from last season but i'm going to stick with the running theme of of there's only one guy out there that has 34 starts against p5 opponents and that's keaton slovis so i'm gonna i'm gonna just throw the quarterback situation in there now Cade fennigan has got a lot of inexperience coming from boise state and you got jake Retzlaff from junior college so After Slovis, there are question marks. But when you got a guy who's been there and done that, I think he as a whole makes that position group uh, very important. And think about it. BYU's always had to have their quarterback stay healthy uh, or there's a a significant drop-off, with the exception of when Baylor Romney was hanging out on the sideline uh, to back up Jaron Hall. But um, I think it's the quarterbacks. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think Keaton certainly is. Yeah, nobody else with D1 real experience behind him, right? Um, The wide receivers and tight ends feel like a pretty good group. I like the starters. Um, You know, you got the big three uh, at receivers BYU and Keanu Hill and Chase Roberts, Cody Epps, and then Isaac Rex. And then you like some of the young talent behind them, especially at tight end. There's some exciting guys like Jackson Bowers coming in. Top 300 ESPN guy, always like that. Um, Offensive line, though, to me, feels like it is ready to go, and especially because the last couple of years, BYU's been churning out ballers. Think about it. Kingsley Suamata-E is going to be a top three-round pick probably in the 24-25 or 25 draft. That means BYU's left tackle will have been drafted, you know, three dudes in a row. Yeah. Not years, but dudes. And then if Keaton Slovis is as good as we're hoping he is, and he gets drafted, and Jaron gets drafted, that would be three quarterbacks. That's, if you could pick one and two positions, I would argue those are the top two that you would want. So that's awesome. Let's break down the offensive line a little bit more. So Kingsley. Amazing. He's going to play left tackle in Sharpie. Put it in there. Uh, Right tackle is going to be an interesting battle. Ian Fitzgerald comes over from Missouri State. They really like him with that experience. Um, Missouri State almost beat Arkansas, by the way, which is what BYU didn't do um, in Provo. Braden Keim has been waiting his time. Another 6'8 guy. That's what you do at right tackle, apparently, at BYU. Got to be (laughs) 6'8. And then Lisa Latai could be there as well. On the interior, PFF's number one uh, pass block graded center in the country was Connor Pay last year. And 91.4. He could be the center or Paul Miley and Pay plays guard. I asked Connor that Friday after practice. Yeah, what he say? He's good
4: either way. Yeah. He just wants to play. Okay. Uh, and one thing he said is, as you mentioned the size, he goes, we're all big now. There's no, we have inex- inexperience, yes. but the inexperience comes with giant size. Remember, a few years ago, we didn't have experience or size. But now the rebuild, this, this is old. This is Kalani Sataki, BYU football, Lavelle Edwards-era guys, where you, you send up monsters to pass protect or open run lanes. And, and Connor believes that this group is capable of, of doing what last year's group did, which was a very good offensive line, especially when it came to protecting the quarterback.
1: I would argue, and uh, I mean, it was one of BYU's greatest offensive line ever. Uh, we're going to look back and see that there were three or four NFL guys on that on that line you could argue some of those 80s offensive lines were the best ever but in the pff era yeah. this is the best bway offensive line we'd ever seen so other guys in the mix waylon lapua who comes from utah state he could be one of the starting guards as well peter Falanaiku, Vaisoifua. so so i i like this group and the development of hey we we've got to uh give ourselves a chance here not only pass blocking but in the run game last year i think uh the run blocking grade was number 12 in the country the running backs weren't gaining extra yards uh-huh. They were. Uh, I was told by you know uh, one, one person on the team. We w- we typically ran for the yards that it was blocked, as opposed to what Tyler was doing, which was if it was blocked for six, he was getting twelve, yeah. and sometimes fifty. Right. And that's an interesting
4: perspective because yeah. there were. You look at the Notre Dame game. You just need one yard. When just can't get the one yard. Well, the offensive line can't block. Well, it's it's so much to do with with who's carrying the football, Algier or Tyson Williams or Jamal Williams. Those guys go, hey, I need a yard. I'm going to get you a yard and an inch if that's all I get. I'm getting you the At first At least down. that. At least that. And so a lot of heat went on the, on the offensive line. But you know they were good because um, the quarterback was rarely touched all season. Um, and so I think the addition of Aiden Robbins and, the, um, uh, and Martin, the Martin kid coming in yep. as a freshman, and Rapati and those guys, have an opportunity to make the line look a lot better yes. just by hitting holes.
1: Yes. Now, offensively, we've focused on those position groups. Defensively, D-line uh, certainly needs to be upgraded. Um, excited about some of the additions. Uh, Isaiah Banya and uh, Jackson Cravens and others. Tyler Batty continues to develop and so on and so forth. You get more. Uh, Atunaiso Mahe this year kind of banged up last year. Linebackers, obviously, you like Ben Bado- Bywater and Max Tooley. Can Chaz you be healthy? Uh, who else is in the mix there? And are we playing two linebackers? Are we playing three? Are we playing four? I'd imagine there'll be a lot of nickel, yeah. a four-two-five 2 five, right. uh, with, with the Big 12. And if that's the case, then Bywater and Thule
4: put them in great position, and then you work the backups, right? If you're just going to yes. start two, then you're
1: like, okay, I like that spot. But if you're going to start three... Week to week on what team... Uh, what teams show. If, if, it's, if you're playing Oklahoma, you're going to be in a nickel a lot. They're going to spread you out, right? Yeah. But if they're going to throw in 12 and 22 personnel with tight ends or running back, you gotta, you got to load up with backers. So I, I do like BYU's starting secondary as well. You bring in Eddie Heckard, who I, I think this guy's going to be a baller. I'm very excited about yeah. Yeah. Uh Jacob Robinson will play the other corner. And then Malik Moore is back healthy, redshirted after an injury uh, to his uh, hand after four games. And then Micah Harper had a really nice season the rest of the way, getting experience at safety. So I like the, the secondary. You just need a little more in that as well. I've never super been concerned about the starters at BYU. I, I, I would like to see more from the D-line specifically. Um, it's, it's kind of the backups because it's football attrition, yeah. inevitability that you need backup.
4: And let's keep an eye on the portal when it opens for football. Mm-hmm. I think it's May 1st. I think it's 15 days. There's going to be something there. Yes. And there's a reason why... Yes. Kalani Sataki said back in February, hey, I'm saving some scholarships for when the portal opens back up. Yes. Just in case there's some guys that fit needs, and you just rolled out some of the needs, there will be some guys. Yeah. And so that's something to watch here coming up.
1: And we'll see, you know, there are guys that lose position battles and aren't starters that w- may want to bounce, uh, opening up even more. Who knows? It's just what it is.
4: And I love those receivers we talked about earlier. Our, our Big 12 ready receivers Well, you look at Epps 5'11", then Roberts, 6'3", then Hill 6'4", and then Rex 6'6". All right, that's Big Twelve size, and we know they're fast. They got good hands, so uh, I I think it's going to be going to be exciting. All right, here's another topic that's hot this morning: Big Twelve and the NFL partner to announce a conference-wide pro day at the Dallas Cowboys facility in 2024. That's next year. Your initial thoughts on this brand new
1: idea? Where I have a feeling the other conferences are going. Why didn't we think of that? This is awesome. Yeah. I, I love it. So I, I've confirmed that you know BYU will cease to have its own, um, which makes total sense. Right. Um, and so the last one is next Friday, right here on BYU TV. Enjoy it. Um, this is great. And Brett Yormark continues to push the envelope of what collegiate athletics in a conference can be and do. He invites Shaq to the Big Twelve Championships to be a DJ at a party. They have specific foods from all the teams. The national anthem singers and halftimes are big time shows. It's, it's, he comes from the entertainment industry and the sports industry, but he is le- allowing those two to collide. Obviously, he is open for business. That doesn't just mean expansion, I think, for right. him. It means let's just make an entertaining product. I think this will become a sort of spring football media day uh, of sorts as well. There's a fan fest associated with it. The exposure of more scouts there live on NFL Network is awesome. I think other leagues will take this idea and probably add it themselves. If the SEC does it, all they would need to do is do Alabama, LSU, Georgia, and they would have like 120 <laughs> guys. But this will be great. It has been fun to have our own thing here at BYU, and BYU's done a tremendous job. Indications are that it was one of the best in the country by itself. Right. Um, and you know, you, you saw what happened when Zach Wilson crushed Pro Day, and that one throw got him you know, as high as number two or whatever. It, it's been fun, but this is going to be cool. BYU will not have its own anymore, but it will assimilate into the league, same with media day. We've done our own media right. day here. We now don't have that, although We're creating uh, stuff. on March 31st, we'll make a spring football media day. Of sure. Um, but th- this is great. I-, I just love the proactivity and the uh, dynamic nature of your mark in the league saying, what, how else can we make this interesting? And certainly this is an idea where you go, yes, why did no one think of this before? The NFL model is there of how to make football year round.
4: You know, every, there's not two months that go by without something from the NFL, whether it's the combine or the draft or mini camps or whatever. Region signings or the last con- couple pre- days have signings. been big. Yeah. yeah, we're constantly thinking about football, um, and, then, and now they've found a way to get football early, late July maybe, early August for their preseason and moving forward. But I, I go back to the scene with uh, when, when the commissioner was here uh, on our game day set before the Baylor game, first time in Provo in, in his life.
1: and that was um, a good day for him to be there. Oh, yeah. And the scene, the, <laughs> the student,
4: the rock was behind him. I think they were chanting his name. Yeah. The stadium was sold out. The night was perfect. And you could just see him looking around going, it, his mind was working because he thinks big things. And when he asked <laughs> Jeff Simpson, our director of BYU TV afterwards, going, do you do this every, every game? And he's like, yes, we do. And it's just like, you know, he's got ideas. And then when he said he'd be back with Bigger and Better, uh, when he's sending Oklahoma here in November. Yes, he is. Um, I, I just think that you've got to keep your eye on this guy. He's going places, and BYU's going with him, even if it's Pro Day in Frisco, Texas. next year. And if you're a kid going to Pro Day in the Dallas Cowboys facility, knowing that the whole league is sitting right there, does that not help you run a little bit faster?
1: I, I think it's pretty good. And, and BYU was getting a lot of teams already to its own Pro Day. But I think every team in the league is going to be there. There was only one team that wasn't there two years ago, by the way. Yeah. I, I mean, BYU was attracting uh, We're going to have scouts. a lot of attention, too, next Friday. This is the best of BYU Sports
2: Nation on BYU Radio. Here are what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week
1: on the best of BYU Sports Nation. And our next guest is Stuart Mandel, the editor-in-chief at the Athletic and Co-host of the Audible podcast. Welcome back to the show, Stuart. Good to see you, man. Good to see you guys. Okay, we'll talk about Big 12, Pac-12 stuff, but uh, but I wanted to get your reaction first to the news that the Big 12 is going to have its own NFL Pro Day, a combine next year. Uh, Seems like a good idea. Brett Yormark uh, continues to kind of do some new stuff. What's your reaction to this?
6: it's a great idea it makes you wonder why did nobody think of this before <laughs> I mean, i've always i've always wanted uh found it to be a very um inefficient and probably expensive process for these teams to fly from school to school to school to watch people work out so um you know between uh i mean you're probably going to get more i mean i would think you would get a lot more uh, gms you know not just just lower level people there and it's just cool for the players you know to not all of them get to go to the NFL Combine, right? That's a that's a very um, just kind of top of the list. So it's going to be a cool experience, I think. I give Brett Yormark a lot of credit on that one.
4: Stuart, let's talk about March Madness, and we're not referring to basketball. How many times have you been asked an expansion question over the last couple of
6: weeks? It's, it's constant. Um, it's the dominant topic in college sports right now, and that and, there hasn't been a lot of like firm news, or really none, I guess. So you're just kind of filling the space right now as everybody awaits something definitive.
4: Is it odd that that there isn't anything like what you're describing there to fuel this thing outside of fans getting, you know, self-conscious about being left out of something?
6: You know, one of the interesting things about this this situation is when Texas and Oklahoma left, right, it came out of complete nowhere when they left the SEC. When USC and UCLA left for the Big Ten, it came out of complete nowhere. Generally, realignment happens in a very stealth, um, secretive manner. Whereas in this case, kind of Brett Yormark kind of called his shot last July, and we've just been um, waiting it out ever since. It's a it's a very prolonged process with not a lot of firm information. So, um, you know, it, I know it's it's challenging for us to discern between what's credible not and not. And we us in the media. Much less a fan on Twitter who's seeing um, speculation on all, all corners and it might not necessarily be able to recognize what's coming from a credible source and what's not.
1: What is the latest in that regard, uh, whether it be the Pac 12's TV deal or the Big 12 looking to poach, or those seem to be connected?
6: Oh, they're 100% connected. Uh, you know, uh, Brett Your has not been shy about stating the conferences, the Big 12's desire to get into the Pacific time zone, to get into that fourth time zone. We know which four schools he's talking about, um, but those four schools are waiting to see what the final um, deal looks like. And uh, the Pac-12 TV deal has dragged on and on, and the negotiations have dragged on and on, and and much to the frustration of, of everybody involved. But I do think we're nearing the finish line. The Pac-12 presidents are meeting again. They met in, uh, during the basketball tournament in vegas they're meeting again next week the expectation nothing's firm but the expectation is that they're going to be uh, receiving from george klyovkov the details of either a proposal or maybe there's multiple proposals i don't know and at that point they would need to approve it if they don't then that opens the door to the possibility that schools might leave
4: arizona state's president this morning uh, out in the media, being quoted as saying that that, that you're right, they're going to get this deal. He thinks it's going to be enough, and that everyone's being uh, held together, and that that really no one's going to bolt. Is that just posturing, or do you think there's something to that?
6: Um, with realignment, it's not it's not like it would be the first time somebody said we're we're completely committed to the conference, and then turning around and bolting um, a week later. But <laughs> it mirrors what our reporting has has told us over the last I would say a few weeks that. The the pack the Big Twelve is really uh, kind of honing in on Colorado and Arizona specifically. I don't believe Arizona State or Utah have any interest in leaving the Pac-12. Now, if it were a disastrous TV deal, that might change the equation. Uh, but there's no there's no that wouldn't make sense, you know, in the marketplace. It's not like the the TV value between the Big Twelve and the Pac-12 is is decidedly better for the Big Twelve. You know, I think the realistic scenario here is that whatever number they get is going to be around the Big 12s, right? Maybe a little less, maybe a little more. And schools that want to be in the Pac-12, there's not a lot of motivation to leave for just that. The equation might be a little different for Colorado and Arizona, in particular Arizona. I think they're, um, you know, that, that would be a basketball play for the Big 12. And of the four, my sense is Arizona is the only one where a good chunk of the fan base wants them to move because they're basketball fans. And there's no question the Big 12 will be a better basketball conference than um, the Pac-12 without UCLA.
1: Is the Colorado move just because they used to be in the league? Because, uh, generally speaking right now, not not uh, breaking the bank with contributions across the board, but certainly Dion's interesting, but that he could be somewhere else in a couple of years.
6: Yeah, that's the thing. Um, Colorado has been the worst program in the Pac-12 since they joined. And it doesn't, you know, if you were looking at that, it's like, why of that, of all programs, would the Big 12 be thirsting after I think it's Dion. Uh, It fits, um, you know, Brett Yormark has another initiative, another philosophy he wants to make the Big 12 the cool conference. Dion's cool. Um, And Dion, by the way, is basically a de facto AD at Colorado. Now, if he wants to be in the Big 12, he'll be in the Big 12. But like you said, and I've been emphasizing that to other people as well, what assurance do you have that he will be the coach of Colorado when that new deal begins in 2025? I don't think it would be wise on either side to make a such a significant decision of, of conference membership and locking yourself into a long-term deal over a football coach football coaches come and go
1: Or is it uh if we get one perhaps we can crumble the league a little bit i you know perhaps the pac-12 could could lose two but then add two and maintain power five status in theory
6: there's there's some notion that if they were to get colorado and arizona that the other two would feel compelled to follow. And of course, the big, the big targets are Oregon and Washington, right? So if if you can get two, then do Arizona State and Utah panic, and they come, and at that point, the Pac-12 is not a feasible conference, and Oregon and Washington might feel like they have to follow suit. Um, I think Oregon and Washington, I don't think it's any secret, are holding out hope for a Big Ten invite. It's bad timing for them that the Big Ten commissioner left. Uh, right, right as this was all happening and they don't have a commissioner right now. So, you know, I think in the coming weeks we'll, we'll get a clearer sense of this. Colorado and Arizona on their own are actually, um, if you were to look at football viewership, below average in the Pac-12. So I don't think the two of them leaving on their own crumbles the conference. Maybe you go get San Diego State and SWU to get back to 10 and, and, and go on. But, you know, once it gets past two, uh, you know, I think the two things that would be existential threats to the Pac-12 one would be Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten I think that would be the end of it actually or more than two for corner schools leaving
4: Before we ask you a Gonzaga question uh, just to follow up on that because how can you move on as a league? Uh, if you're not Washington and Oregon when you've already heard those two schools say they want to be married to someone else How do you even trust that that relationship can continue where you pass on stability more or less in a conference like the big 12 where where no one's going to be leaving anytime soon
6: well we don't know yet the details of how long a tv deal the pac-12 is is getting is it five years is it seven years i don't i can't imagine it's longer than six or seven years uh because we're right like the next question is okay here's the deal are you guys willing to sign a grant of rights um i think to have any stability they've got to sign a grant of rights if not, you're kind of like a group of five conference where the schools could leave at any time. Um, you know, maybe maybe they put in an exit fee, but you know that's different to me than, for instance, the ACC, where the schools have literally turned over their TV rights for another um, thirteen years. So um, that that to me is the is the biggest question in all of it. Um, are you are Oregon and Washington going to play hardball? Are they going to ask for, for instance, unequal revenue sharing? Are they going to say, look, we've got leverage here? We know there's interest in us. Um, they actually had meetings with the Big Ten last fall. We deserve a bigger share of the pie, kind of like what the Florida State Athletic Director is talking about in um, the ACC. He doesn't have any leverage because that deal is locked in for so long. Oregon and Washington do.
4: Stuart Mandel's with us from The Athletic. How soon do you think Gonzaga
6: will be a member of the Big 12 playing basketball? A few weeks. <laughs> I mean, really? Not uh, quick? It's. Uh, it's not playing basketball but 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 signing on to the big 12 i think you know from what we've been told it's very it's very it's inevitable um for a couple reasons you know one it's obviously a very attractive basketball conference two gonzaga is only going to leave the wcc if the conference they're going to is willing to take all their sports and not just men's and women's basketball and the big 12 from what we have been told has given them that assurance. I don't know that the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 is just not far enough along to be able to to make any sort of assurances to Gonzaga. So we think Brett Yormark is obviously priority number one is those Pac-12 schools. You know, waiting to see what happens there. But I don't. Whatever happens there, I still think they want Gonzaga. Brett Yormark is, is uh, positioning the Big Twelve as the top basketball conference. Right. Um, he, he feels like that's a way to. You know, you're not going to be the Big Ten in SEC, but how do you distinguish yourself in some fashion? Uh, basketball. Basketball is not, does not drive the money that football does, but it's not insignificant either. And if you were to get Gonzaga to go with Kansas, Baylor, those are the last two national champions. Houston is coming in. They're the number one seed in the NCAA tournament right now. Um, that's the best basketball conference. And If you can add Arizona, too, my goodness, that's, now you're like the SEC of basketball.
1: I know that Gonzaga's been told to be ready for whenever that goes down. Um, so that kind of uh, confirms that as well, which is interesting. Regarding basketball, Brett Yormark has said he wants to, he thinks it can be more lucrative. He did some entertainment things around the Big 12 championships uh, last week with Shaq showing up as a, as a DJ and foods and halftime performances that are a little more interesting. What, what role does basketball have in this conversation, as you mentioned, where, okay, now, now you become the SEC in that regard, um, and you still want obviously to continue to, you're essentially playing for third in football, but what role could basketball have in all of this if you add Gonzaga,
6: Arizona and up? So obviously his background is he worked for, at the Brooklyn Nets for a long time. He's a basketball guy. Um, and he has said on the record, he thinks it's undervalued. Uh, and and I think, so I think the long-term strategy is okay, they already did their deal for for this one, but come 2030, separating them out, right? You sell football in one package, you sell basketball in another. Is that gonna pay off? I have no idea. Um, basketball in general is about 20% of a, of a confer- conference's TV value, maybe a little bit more in some, maybe a little bit less in others. It's not going to you know, um, get you to the Big Ten and SEC level, but it could get you closer. Certainly that's something they have that the Pac-12 doesn't. I mean, Pac-12 basketball, I joke sometimes, might as well be taking place on, on Jupiter because all the games are almost all the games are on Pac-12 network. Um the championship game the other day was at 10 30 p.m. Eastern. There are good teams in that conference and it gets no exposure. So um if that if this kind of right now it's kind of a race to be in third, right? To be the clear, you know, third most powerful conference. That's probably the most um the biggest draw they have that the the Pac-12 does not.
1: Getting on the uh, you know metal stand is always always good. Uh, so the Big 12 plan for that, Stuart. We appreciate the time. We uh, recommend everyone check out your stuff on the Athletic and the Audible podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports
2: Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you
1: every Saturday. With Brown presented by Mareske, your e-commerce logistics. Shipping partner, logistics.
4: Exactly, ESPN's Jordan Reed, ranking the top 15 quarterbacks in the NFL draft. He's got Jaron Hall at 13, projected as a late day three pick or undrafted free agent. Have you considered the possibility of
1: Jaren Hall not being drafted? Not really, uh, but it's certainly a possibility. It's a really good quarterback class. Uh, Jaren has shown well, I think because of his efficiency, the way he takes care of the ball, his maturity, his athleticism, that he will be drafted. But sure, there's a timeline in the multiverse where he doesn't, but I don't think it's this one. Yeah, I think you're right. And we haven't heard anyone other than this guy suggesting late day three or, or maybe not at all yeah and I'm thinking he's day three um, but I think it's on day three I don't think he's undrafted. draft. No. Uh, the Lions seem to be moving on from Jamal Williams as we mentioned where do you want to see Jay Swag Daddy end up playing next year? The Lions are awesome they finally get something good and they go you know what let's give it away <laughs>
4: uh, so they signed the Montgomery from the Bears It yep. surprised us last night when we yep. saw that Everything I've read this morning is the Bills are interested in him, possibly the Bengals are mm. interested in Jamal Williams. That puts him on a Super Bowl contending team, if that were to happen. Uh, but it's all about money. I, I, from what I read, the, the Lions and Jamal were far apart mm. on what he's looking to cash in on uh, after leading the NFL in rushing touchdowns.
1: And he had 1,000 yards. 1,000 yards. Yes.
4: This and he's was... in a conversation with Barry Sanders.
1: This... Come on, Lions. In this way, yes. Um, <laughs> certainly had an amazing year. By the way, another metric, just to quantify how good he was, Fourth in the NFL in first downs. So he is getting meaningful stuff when he totes the rock. So yeah, we'll we'll see where he lands. Certainly I think Jamal is a really good number two in the league. He had put up number one numbers. But if you can get a combo of of two guys, I just, yeah, it'd be nice to see him on a contender. Like you mentioned, Buffalo would be be sweet.
4: Uh, That that would put him a chance to win a ring.
1: Is Zach Moss still on the the Bills after this year? Like, you'd have
4: a Ute and a Cougar? That could be kind of fun. That would be something. That would be something. Lauren Gustin, not named to the AP All American team, which was released this morning. Surprised?
1: Little bit. Um, I think BYU's team was a little bit better. Yeah, she was a little bit um, kind of punished for the team not being better, but ah, she was just so good. Like She was not just the leading rebounder. She was the best rebounder in a long time and seventh most in a season, which by the way, if she plays two games in the WNIT and she has her average, she'll set the record, the NCAA record. I mean, you'd have Kyle Collinsworths in triple doubles, Lauren Gustins in, in uh, single season rebounding. A Little bit surprised, was hoping she'd at least get honorably mentioned, but you have to be on the first, second or third team and get some votes to at least be on that one. It seems like when you lead the country in rebounds and you are the
4: first to get 500 points and 500 rebounds in the country, men or women, that that would get you at least on the third-team All-American. It should matter. Thank goodness the Big 12's next year. Yep. Because you go do half those numbers in the Big 12 and all of a sudden you're as good as you
1: already were, but you finally get recognized for it. That's too bad. BYU baseball got a 7-0 win over Utah last night. Was that worth more than just one win? I think so,
4: and and we'll find out Thursday when they go to LMU, but they've had so many problems with errors and untimely at-bats and poor pitching, especially in the later innings. They did all three of those things yesterday. Allowed one hit to Utah in nine innings. Amazing. Uh, and they were one inch away from a combined no-hitter on an infield, on an infield single. No errors. Timely hits. Will get hit a home run. The catcher who had two hits all season gets a hit his first at bat. All that builds confidence. They're young. They're competitive. They have potential to be pretty good. They're trying to get Big 12 ready. So yesterday I thought was huge as long as they back it up Thursday with another good day.
1: Yes, and it was Utah. So yes, yeah. it's worth And it one. was Utah. And it was a bit of a losing streak. It was nice to stamp that.
4: BYU Football posted this video from spring practice. If you notice, it's a new defensive coordinator, Jay Hill. And he is excited. He loves his new job. So on a scale of one to Jay Hill, how excited Are you right now for spring football?
1: Hey, I'm excited. Uh, Back from Vegas, with Phoenix on a little vacation. I'm excited to go to practice uh, tonight and Friday and uh, see the guys. And uh, I'm not quite Jay Hill level, but I am excited. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be at practice
4: and interview Keaton
1: Slovis. We'll have that
4: tomorrow as he settles in as the new quarterback.
1: Join the
2: conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation.
1: Uh, What's Treading is presented by Tim Daly Ford, part of the Utah Tim Daly Auto Group, serving Utah since 1968. Huge day uh, for Cougars in the NFL news. Massive uh, day, of course. But what was the biggest Cougars in the NFL news, Dave? Aaron Rodgers saying he wants to play for the Jets, and certainly Zach Wilson there affected. And uh, Jamal Williams joining Taysom in New Orleans. What was bigger?
4: We were at practice yesterday when we got the text that Jamal was signing with the Saints. And we're just like, what? The combination of Jamal and Taysom, two of Cougar Nation's all-time favorites, uh, in a league where they'll play Tyler Algier two times a year in that division. uh, It just felt right, and no one thought that Jamal was going to go to the Saints. But Alvin Kamara's got legal problems. It could keep him out for a long time this season. And, uh, and there's an opportunity, not only for Jamal to get in, but for Jamal to get in a lot. Had 1,000 yards, 17 touchdowns last year. The Saints could use that. Yeah. And Taysom now gets to do the RPO with Jamal, which we saw so many times here in Provo. I think it's huge.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, Saints signed Derek Carr, certainly as starting quarterback. So Taysom... Uh, could still be used in that way. But the idea that those two team up again in any way is awesome because in 2013, we saw one of the greatest uh, rushing seasons BYU's ever had. It is the most yards BYU's rushed for in a season at that point. And uh, BYU had 2,000 yard rushers in a season. That's the only time the Cougars have ever had that. Taysom actually had more than Jamal. Uh, there was a point where had Taysom continued healthy and run the way he run uh, was running, he would have been the all-time leading rusher. Instead, it is yeah. one Jamal Williams, uh, which is an incredible feat. The personality of Jamal will be fun in New Orleans as well. Um, he makes that team uh, better. Um, certainly, Alvin Kamara is a tremendous player, and if he's not there, Jamal has some big shoes to fill. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think that is a bigger impact because, or bigger news because Jamal Williams is going to play... Now, in the case of Zach Wilson, uh, he will certainly be behind Aaron Rodgers, of course. But, um, you know, Zach Wilson um, has an opportunity now to learn from someone, clearly be the backup, not have that pressure, and maybe, um, you know, the Jets uh, give him a chance down the road post-Aaron. I tend to think that Zach won't have a chance with the Jets anymore at all, that that will come as a backup on another team in the future. But the opportunity for him to take a step back, to be ready should there be an injury or an issue. Uh, there won't be an issue with Aaron Rodgers' production, you would think, but just where he probably won't be needed, that he can get the time to develop that he didn't get as the second overall pick. The, the awesome part about it being the second pick is the signing bonus and the contract. You're the man. You're expected to do a lot. You get an opportunity. Perhaps he was rushed into too quickly, didn't perform well enough. The OC didn't give him a chance, whatever excuse you want to make for it. Now he has a chance to really settle in. Big fan of Aaron Rodgers, we know yeah. that. He would said that on the show as much. In fact, he, he said on the show, he doesn't really have any swag, though. just has the old <laughs> school chin strap. He can say that to Aaron himself now. But you know, yeah. He can develop a relationship there, similar to kind of what Taysom Hill did with Drew Brees, where it's, okay, I can learn from you, and now I can get better. We'd certainly like to see Zach in the NFL performing, performing well. That's not going to happen for a couple years now, and perhaps, I think, probably on a different team.
4: If he can, if he can take this moment and take a breath and, uh, and maybe a little humility in there and just go, okay. I haven't talked to Zach, but I've talked to his friends. His friends have said Zach was hoping for Aaron Rodgers to come to New York. So, Which tells us so a lot. So there's that atmosphere, atmosphere there. But if he can just soak it in, yep. get in and play. And, and you know, Aaron gets hurt here and there, and so there's opportunities. Uh, the white is already gone, so there's no yep, buddy ahead out. of Zach. Um, and, then, and then wait. I mean, Garoppolo waited behind Tom Brady forever, never got his chance with the Patriots, but a team grabbed him and paid him a fortune. And then another teams grabbed him and paid him another fortune. There are opportunities still there, even if you're not a starting quarterback right now in the NFL. And and, and we still don't know if Zach is an NFL quarterback. We think he is uh, because of what he did here. And we have all those reasons as to why he didn't succeed in New York. Um, And he had some bad throws and some bad decisions and all that stuff. But man, here comes Aaron Rodgers for a reboot, and they didn't cut his pay. So Zach gets a reboot without a reduction in pay. I would think that he would be the happiest backup quarterback right now in the NFL.
1: And he'll, he'll get a chance to learn from one of the best uh, quarterbacks ever. Certainly one of the top five, maybe top three, which would be awesome. And Nathaniel I, Hackett makes a difference too, by the way. Right. New offensive coordinator. Michael Four was a first-time OC. Now you've got a guy who was the OC at, with the Packers for a time with Aaron. So that's a storyline here. Can that influence uh, Zach in a way where he will be more prepared?
4: Oh, and they brought in Lazard. They're going to get in some other guys. Funny how they're just getting guys now because they've got Aaron Rodgers. Yep. And then – then when Aaron goes out, Zach gets to come in and throw to those same guys, which will be better than what he's had the last couple of years. They get their running back back healthy. And,
1: yep, and a lot of
4: Vegas thinks the Jets will be a contender with Aaron
1: Rodgers. I, I think so, too. I, I think they were a quarterback away last year. Um, you know, Zach struggled. They, in spite of Zach uh, and his struggles, they were 6-3 and three at one point yeah. and really mailed it in down the stretch to come up short. But Jets are must-watch TV now. Um, and certainly they have to figure out that combination, that package of of uh, picks and trade to get him officially because it's like he's not going to the Jets right now officially. He, it, it still has to happen, but yeah. I, I'm excited for Zach because he certainly needs uh, he needs a minute right now to figure some stuff
4: out. So uh, the swing back on Jamal, I, I texted uh, David Nixon, who's Taysom Hill's brother-in-law, and I said, hey, what's Taysom think of this? He hadn't talked to him yet, but Nixon had been around the team, the Saints, and and his comment back was, Jamal's going to be just what that locker room can use. Mm. You know? Breath of fresh air, uh, energy, entertainment. I think he might dance all the way down Bourbon Street.
1: I, I think you the know, fit is going to be Orleans really fun. New Orleans and Jamal might be just yeah, perfect. yeah. New Orleans is a very f- <laughs> obviously fun city and, and fun vibe um, and unique. And like Jamal's a unique guy. Like he loves his anime and he loves uh, you know playing catch with the kids. He's great.
4: And those two personalities there on the screen couldn't be any more different.
1: Yes. Very different personalities. <laughs> Both want to get the job done in a different way, right? Um, so it's going to be fun to see these guys together. And, I mean, when you talk uh, all-time QB running back tandem at BYU, I, I think that's the best one BYU's ever produced. I, I think um, it's hard to beat that because BYU's had some really good running backs over the years, but they weren't paired with a top-ten right. QB always. Right. Um, you could argue Robbie and Lackey were, were up there and Max and Harvey, uh, were tremendous, right? And you could argue Zach and Tyler uh, yeah. in 2020.
4: Doman and Staley had it going.
1: Amazing, on. right? Um, Jamal and Taysom are certainly in that convo of best-ever QB running back tandem.
4: So envision this. The Saints get down there to the three-yard line. Taysom's in and Jamal's in. They break the huddle. This is Taysom's a, a quarterback. Fans dream. <laughs> Jamal's to <laughs> his right as a defense. Now you're dealing with a guy who scored more touchdowns than anybody at running back last year in Jamal. And Taysom, whose uh, history speaks for itself, and now Taysom gets the ball. He gets to decide, am I going to run it or is Jamal going to run it? And the defense has to get ready for both. That's going to be must-see TV for BYU fans. And what kind of a nightmare for a defensive line?
1: It's going to be awesome. Uh, the, you know, Saints appropriately named for uh, these, these two guys. So it's going <laughs> to be
4: fun. Yeah. And, and, they're, and they're both getting paid. We like to see them <laughs> Yeah, successful. I like the eight-mil guaranteed. Paid. Lunch is on Jamal. <laughs> the athletic Stuart Mandel was with us yesterday. And he said a lot of things about expansion and all that stuff. But then he dropped a couple of lines in there about when asked about Gonzaga in the Big 12. And uh, he goes, well, it's going to be a matter of weeks for this to happen as opposed to is it going to happen? Here's what he said.
6: It's inevitable um, for a couple reasons. You know, one, it's obviously a very attractive basketball conference. Two, Gonzaga is only going to leave the WCC if the conference they're going to is willing to take all their sports and not just men's and women's basketball. And the Big 12, from what we have been told, has given them that assurance. I don't know that the Pac-12, I mean, the Pac-12 is just not far enough along to be able to, to make any sort of assurances to Gonzaga. So we think, Brett, right, your mark is obviously priority number one is those Pac-12 schools. You know, right. waiting to see what happens there, but I don't, whatever happens there, I still think they want Gonzaga.
4: Stuart Mandel yesterday on BYU Sports Nation. Is Gonzaga to the Big 12 good for BYU?
1: Sure. Uh, it's, I, previously, I've said, listen, uh, I'm, I'm cool not playing them again. Uh, but if they're in the league, great. Now you have a Western partner if there's no one else added. I would imagine they would seek to add more, obviously. We're open for business, as we've talked about. You know what? It's going to be tough no matter what in that league. Um, how much tougher can it get if you add Gonzaga in Arizona? Like. It's it's gonna to be tough to to make the NCAA tournament, period. Right. Um, but if you added Gonzaga and even in Arizona, whatever, yeah, um, but Super ho- conference. Hope yes, hope now you're the best league by far. You're the best league by far now. Now no one's touching you no. ever. Um,
4: you could break away and have your own tournament.
1: You and really, claim you really good. You really good. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I almost say why not at this point. Um, obviously, uh, bringing Gonzaga in, you're, there's a familiarity there with BYU and all the other sports that BYU competes with Gonzaga in. Obviously, men's basketball leads there. But I wonder what the difference is between inviting Gonzaga and say Colorado based on the coach. Now, hear me out. If you invite Colorado to the Big Twelve, thinking, hey, we want Dion. Dion's gonna be gone in a couple of years. He might it, be gone in a year. Yeah, if it if works. If it works, and if it doesn't work, he'd He's be, gone be gone too. In. Mark, how many years does Mark View have left at Gonzaga if they don't go to the Big 12? I would think it'd be fewer than more. If, you, if Gonzaga goes to the Big 12, I would think that extends that for him. It's a new thing. You've, you've uh, brought Gonzaga into the Big 12. It's the most amazing thing ever for the commish, as we jokingly like to call him here. I, I, and then when he's done, what is Gonzaga? Can they maintain a similar level of top 25-ness? Right now, it's not top 25. It's top 15. Yeah. And prior to this year, the last like eight, it's been like top five. So I, I just wonder um, if this is a Mark, uh, a, a mark Few move. As when opposed he's to gu- a Gonzaga move. As opposed to a Gonzaga move. Yeah. Yeah.
4: If I'm Gonzaga, I go to Mark Few and I go, okay, we're going to do this. I want a 10-year commitment that you're going to be with us for 10 years. And then that gives us five years to figure out who's going to come next.
2: The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio.
1: Casey Klinger getting it done at NCAA Indoor National Championships. Jerem Jordan alongside Dave McCann. Casey Klinger in the studio. He's been on the show a bunch of times. Congratulations, man, uh, at NCAA Indoor National Championships. Yeah, thank you. It's Awesome. Okay, so uh, second in the 5K, fourth in the 3K. Those are on back-to-back days, by the way. No rest for the weary. Uh, what was it like to take second and fourth. And uh, were you happy with those uh, finishes?
7: Yeah, I, I was happy with the finish. It, I mean, this is my first indoor uh, national championship. Um, so going in, I was a little, little bit nervous, but I, was prepa- I knew I was prepared. And uh, it was super um, nice to place where I thought I could. So now
4: you came over to the studio. It's pouring rain outside. So
7: I'm going to ask you a question. What do you enjoy more, indoor or outdoor? <laughs> On a day like today, probably <laughs> indoor. And what's the difference? Um, honestly, the only difference is that the track size really indoors, it's a 200 meter track, 400 or outdoors a 400 meter track. And so they're both fun. I mean, it's nice to have a a switch up in racing. So
1: what's the strategy differential of indoor versus outdoor when the track is different? Yeah, with the smaller track, it's
7: definitely harder to make moves. So um, you have to be a little more tactically aware um, when to make moves because it's hard to get around a lot of people on such a small track. So
1: are you a good rebounder in basketball? Like, you box out a little bit? When you uh, is it weird to, like... I mean, if you look at me, I'm pretty... I'm good at boxing <laughs> out, <so. laughs> I did okay. Is, no. it, uh, it, is it weird to, while you're running, sort of keep someone off you? Like, walk us through that strategy.
7: Um, yeah, I mean, especially in indoors, it's, it's, it gets pretty bunched up, so you have to be pretty aware, kind of let people know that you're there and try to protect your position. It's like NASCAR. So, yeah. Exactly. You just exactly. kinda of, kind of move over a little bit and they go, out oh, okay, it's
4: to left the whole time? Is that what said? <laughs> <laughs> left turns. Uh is it how close have you come to just going down with a whole group? Going down. You know, like getting tripped up, and you oh, mentioned yeah. you
7: mentioned how bunched up you are together. Like Tour de front, in indoor. indoor speed skating, yeah. right? One bike goes down, they all go down. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for a lot of the race, you're just looking at the person ahead of you, or looking at the, a couple guys ahead of you, making sure that you're ready to make a move if someone goes down, because it gets pretty bunched up. So
1: I've I've come pretty close to falling, but luckily I haven't yet. So, being top five in uh, in two different categories, which is awesome, three k and five k. What were your goals going in? And what was the, the approach in each of those races to get what you got? So the race was in
7: Albuquerque and having it be at altitude. Uh, I knew I was prepared for that because it's kind of the same as Utah. But um, the goal was just to stay in contention and to be a competitor in both races and to see what I had the last, you know, 400 meters of the race. And um, I was pleased with the 5K. k to have a strong finish. And um, the 3K was decent as well. So um, I was glad that I kind of executed my plan pretty well. So.
4: How is it on campus when, when you're a football player or a basketball player doing amazing things? Everybody knows who that person is. You walk around, you're a five-time All-American. You go in the library and say, a five-time All-American just walked in here. And no one got up. <laughs> no one's even looking.
7: What, what is that like? Do you feel under the radar despite the success that you've had, which is tremendous? I mean, honestly, the people in my circle are super supportive, and honestly, the athletes and the administration of BYU is super supportive. So, I've never felt like under the radar, yeah. honestly. I mean, of course, when you compare to football and basketball, like, yeah, like there's a difference there. But um, I've really, I'm just grateful for the opportunity and it's, it's been special. And
4: there's a coolness factor too, right? It, yeah. it's, it's cool to be a five-time
1: All-American. It's all right, yeah. Your kids are gonna love it someday.
7: <laughs> like my dad was a five-time All-American.
1: Maybe it, more before you're done. Yeah, we'll see, they'll probably it, think I'm a lamb. <laughs> and, and you have another full season of uh, outdoor right now, cross country, indoor, outdoor, right? Yeah. Awesome. Um, and you totally came in to BYU under the radar as the Gatorade National Runner of the Year. Uh, yeah, so you've been off the radar for a while. Um, and and of course we know your in-laws, the Bowers, uh, the volleyball family. Morgan's your wife. What's the what's the sort of dynamic of like the volleyball family integrating into like running and supporting <laughs> you? What's that like? Um,
7: they've been awesome. They're so supportive. They're I mean they've traveled to multiple of my ra- a bunch of my races, and so they understand sports and being and like the competition um there's a little bit of a learning curve just it's but and for me it was for volleyball like just kind of getting to know the game but um they've been great it's been super fun to
4: be a part of that with them so but by the way your kids will think you're really cool and then they will think you're lame and then they'll come back to think (laughs) you're really cool
1: so you have all that ahead and that's with no athleticism (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's just
4: based on existence but um, a great future ahead. What do, you, what do you look for with the outdoor season and then your final year at BYU? What do you, outside of a national champion, mm-hmm. what's the goal?
7: Well, right. I mean, there's only one spot up from second. So I'm hoping to yeah. focus on that national championship in outdoors. And then after that, I got another year. So I just want to um, take it race by race and just do the best I can and then go from there.
1: Yeah. I, I uh, you know, drove down to Arizona and back last week, and I couldn't help but think about Flagstaff, although I didn't go through, try to, yeah. I was thinking about NAU and that rivalry. <laughs> is there an indoor thing with them, too, or is it just cross-country? Uh, there's always a
7: thing. I mean, we're, we're <laughs> always racing each other. They always have really good track guys, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, when, when there's an NAU guy in the race, you kind of, kind of know, and yeah, you, you look at him, know. he looks at you, yeah. it's like, all right, let's go. Okay, yeah, yeah it's on. Yeah. What, what's it like to have an Ed Istone,
4: uh your access to to a runner like
7: that—it's it's special. I'm super grateful for him. He's—I mean—he's been with me every step of the way in college, and he's just—he's been a great coach. He helps push me, and um, I think I kind of help push him a little bit too good. on stuff. But it's 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 been good, and um, yeah, I'm I'm excited for this um, last little bit with him
1: because he's
7: really been a great coach for me.
1: Awesome. How do you push him? How do you push an Olympian?
7: Um, <laughs> Just um, in workouts, sometimes I want to do more <laughs> and we kind of have to find a balance of what's the right amount. And so I think we kind of, um, yeah, just kind of push each other in different ways and it's, it's, it's good. So like after 10 miles, you want to go
4: 12 and it's like, <laughs> let's know. Well, we're going to yeah. stay in at 10. This is one of my favorite questions. <laughs> we always get
1: asked, Dave, how many miles, uh, are you logging a week and does it vary by season? <laughs> um,
7: Right now, I'm my high is 90 miles a week, so <laughs> 90 miles a week. Yeah, and so it kind of builds up year by year. So I'm um, yeah, this year has been about 90 miles a week.
1: So what's the uh, the average per day you're doing? Average,
7: I mean it varies, but it's I can't remember what 90 is. 16, 15, 16? something, something Six, like that. I think it's sixteen. Do you have like a certain route? Because
1: if if you live in Provo, you're familiar with cross country team running around the mm-hmm. men and the women. Oh yeah, sometimes Timpview, sometimes yeah. Provo. Right. Um, who chooses where you're going and what the route is and who kind of leads?
7: Uh, it, it's different every day. I mean, we try to not like have like designated leaders who choose the run. It's just kind of whatever people are feeling like running. We run out to the canyon a lot. Are out you out looking for hills? Are you looking for hills when you're out there? Sometimes. Is it yeah, we got plenty we'll, up on the bench? We'll run on the shoreline trail yeah. up in the Provo Canyon and stuff. So. Ever see any cougars up there? Like, not yet. Luckily. If you yeah. do, just keep running. Yeah. Just keep running. <laughs> 16 miles a day. Did I hear you right? I, if I did the math right, I, wow, it's, it's around there. So.
1: Jared Ward talked about this a couple of years ago where in a, couple, a couple of former BYU guys obviously have transitioned into marathons. How much of a leap is that to a marathon? Because certainly 26 is crazy, but it's 10 more than you're doing. 10 yeah. doesn't feel like a lot, but certainly that's a lot, right? Well, I mean, so Ed Ison is
7: like... A marathoner, right. right? He's a legendary marathoner. And he, I mean, a lot of the training he implements into our cross country and track is kind of marathon style workouts, mm-hmm. just a little modified. So um, it, it's, it's still kind of a, a, a jump. Um, 26.2 is, is quite a long race. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of guys who have transitioned into the marathon have done pretty well, just because our training kind of is kind of based around a lot of marathon style. Do you run a marathon?
1: Guess, no. Do you want to one day? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. But not, not yet. Not, yet, not I, yet. I had a buddy who literally did not train and just went and ran one, one time. And I was like, I applaud your mental strength, but also you're crazy. <laughs> like, yeah. don't what, what are you doing? You couldn't walk uh, for days. Like, yeah. Crazy I, I bet. <laughs> your degree
7: is in business? Yeah. How's that coming? It's going good. On yeah. track to get done? Yeah.
1: Got another year, and so it uh, should be good. Fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, good luck with the outdoor season, which I know... Uh, starts this week at Stanford. You you going to that meet, or are I'm, you taking that one off? No, I'm taking that one off. Awesome. But, well, I think I you deserve mix. it <laughs> uh, based on the uh, national. So thanks for coming in and best of luck. Yeah, thanks for having me.
2: That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, nine Pacific
0: on BYU TV and BYU Radio.